Awesome. Well, church, uh, we are going to get started today and, and continue on our series, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we're looking at the book of Galatians and the New Testament and seeing the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Our faith in Jesus changes our life. It's transformational. We get forgiven. We get rescued. We get accepted by God. We experience unity with the body of Christ. All of it. Man, it's everything, and it is good, and it's all that gospel message, that good news of Jesus, and it's so simple. And as we're diving into this, I'm sure questions are coming up. I want to encourage you, please post your questions. If you're watching, it's 10 a.m. Hey, everybody, post those questions in the chat. If you're watching after the fact, post a question on the YouTube page or on our homepage. We've got a little portal for you to submit questions. The whole reason we're doing this, one, we can dig deeper into this content, but two, you can feel like you're connected and engaging in what we're doing and what we're talking about. And as we're scattered all over the place, it's important we continue to say, stay knit together, close together, engage together. So ask those questions and let's keep talking, all right? So let's check that out. Now, Today, as we begin, I want to talk about my dog, Goose. Maybe you've seen pictures of her. I've talked about her a little bit before. One of the things that is a, a love-hate relationship with Goose is Goose is very soft and fluffy, but Goose thinks that she is much smaller than she is. She's about 26, almost 30 pounds, and she's about yay big, and, and Goose likes to get in your lap. She wants to be close to you. That's the way she loves you, and she feels loved. And then what she does, she doesn't just sit in your lap. But she likes to get in your face, and she likes to just, oh, let's go nose to nose, and she moves around and wants you to rub her belly, and she gets all up in your business, and she's right there. She, I mean, it's just, she has no personal bubble. She wants to be close to you, and that's how she knows you're loved, and you love her, and she loves you, and that's how she does it. And I think with, with our relationship with God, I think there's times where we as humans want to do the, do the same thing with God. Hey, hey, look at me, God. Look at me, God. And we wag our tails. Look at me, God. Hey, 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 I'm here. And we want to jump in his lap. And we don't just want to sit in God's lap and put our head in his chest. What do we want to do? We're going to go face to face, nose to nose. We want to be right there, God. Hey, you love me. I love you. We're good, right? We're close. But we don't always feel that close with God. Things get in the way or... Or, or we feel this pressure that we have to do something to be close with God. You ever feel that pressure? I've got to do something to feel close with God. This is a theme that Paul addresses to the Galatian church because the Galatians had adopted a theology that says you have to input your effort. You've got to do something in order for God to approve of you, to like you, to want you to sit in his lap. To be accepted as his, to be seen as right, and to go and do right, to feel right about all these things. And so Paul writes about this. And he begins in chapter 3 talking with some rhetorical questions. Questions where, kind of like a parent, like he knows the answer to these. So as we're reading them, please know he knows the answer is uh, not in the affirmative. But let's jump right in. It says in Galatians chapter 3, you foolish Galatians. There's a way to start. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Verse 5, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? You see, Paul is 
painting a picture of their past. And like a parent or a mentor, he's asking these questions. He obviously understands their past is, man, they heard the gospel. They saw the simplicity of it. It was painted as this beautiful picture for them, right? He says that Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Like, you understood it's Jesus plus nothing. You got it. You experienced a move of the Spirit in your life, that the Holy Spirit is in you at the moment of, uh, of salvation and faith brings the Spirit of God into your life. And he says, well, did you work miracles because, did the Holy Spirit work miracles in you because you did anything special? Nope. Nope. But you've seen the move of God in your life. You've seen the miraculous, the charismatic, the gifts of the Spirit. You've seen those things in your community and yet, there is something in you that says, I have to do something in order to accomplish this. I have to do something to do the holy work of God. I have to do something in order to be seen as holy and righteous and good enough in God's eyes. They've forgotten their past. He says the word bewitched. Very fitting for Halloween weekend for us. They've been bewitched. Somebody has cast a spell on them. They've been brainwashed to believe something different. And it's these Jewish Christians that have come in and trying to convince them that the only way God will see you as righteous, the only way God would put you in his lap and say, I approve of you, you are good enough, I love you, is if you do these holy things, these righteous things. You want to bring about the righteousness of God, then you've got to legalistically adhere to these rules. You've got to uphold our dietary restrictions. You've got to follow our ceremonial calendar. And you've got to fulfill the, the commitment of circumcision. Without circumcision, God will not see you as righteous. You will not feel right with God. You will not be right with God. You will not do the right things for God. Righteousness, that's a big word. And that's something the Galatians were wrestling with. That's a word that we don't often use uh, in our regular terms, unless you're a surfer dude, right? Back in the day, hey, righteous, brother. But the idea of righteousness is this, is this biblical concept that is supposed to be a part of who we are. Jesus is described as the righteous one. God the Father is righteous. There's a holiness, something set apart, something right, something pure about God and about Jesus. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says that we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the goal that we should be chasing after. We want to fulfill that. We want to be that. There's this pressure on the Galatian church to be righteous. And what we mean by righteousness is not just good action, but it's good action in connection to good relationship. That if I'm good with God here, well, then I'm going to be good with God here. I'm going to live righteously because I'm seen as righteous. See, so it's, it's being seen as right. It's doing right. It's feeling right. It's all, it's all connected in that idea of righteousness. And, and the way the Galatians are trying to bring about that righteousness is much like we would by effort. Not by faith. Not through faith in Jesus. Right? Jesus plus nothing equals righteousness. Nope. Not the case for them. It's Jesus plus effort equals righteousness. In verse 3, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal with, by human effort? That's what Paul says. That word effort that he uses is the word flesh in the Greek. What's interesting is he's writing this to a group of people that are so preoccupied with righteousness attained through circumcision, and he uses the word, are you trying to be righteous through the flesh? I mean, you see the word play there? Youch! Paul's getting at it there, though. We try to be right in God's eyes 
by something that we do, by our effort. If I wag my tail enough, God will welcome me into his lap. If I put my nose into his nose, I'm going to be close with God. It's that effort. And it's sometimes this perfection. We strive for perfection. I've got to be clean enough and good enough. And I've got to eradicate all the sin in my life. And if I struggle with any kind of sin in any kind of way, man, God's not going to love me enough and I'm not going to be good enough. Or we struggle with this hyper-spirituality. If I'm not charismatic enough, if I'm not holy enough, if I'm not seeing, if I'm not praying long enough or reading enough of my Bible, if I'm not praying in tongues enough, if I'm not hyper-spiritual, well, then God, God won't do the righteous stuff through me. God won't view me as righteous. God won't accept me as righteous. It becomes a Jesus plus effort equals righteousness. And I want to do right. I want to feel right. I want to be seen as right. Why do we put so much pressure on ourselves? Why do we insert effort into the equation? Why do we do that? Why is that our propensity? We desire control, right? If I can control these things, well then I can maybe control my future. I can control, man, if I do these things, God will answer my prayer and I will be blessed. If I do these things, God will show up in our church and we'll see a revival. If I do these things, my family is gonna be blessed. If I do these things, then I'm gonna be more prosperous. If I do these things, I'm gonna be healthier. If I do, it's all about control. We're trying to control ourselves, we're kind of trying to control our actions, and we're trying to control God, we're trying to control our future. Some of it's just, I want to feel complete. I want to feel close with God. I want to feel whole with God. The word shalom means wholeness and completeness. And when I'm stuck in sin, when I'm wrestling with sin, when I'm habitually in sin, when I when I don't feel spiritual enough, when I'm not seeing miracles and I'm not seeing the move of God in the way that I've seen other people at work, I begin to feel like, well, maybe I'm far apart from God. Maybe I'm incomplete. Maybe I'm not whole. And so I've got to insert effort. Can you relate to that? I put effort into the equation. Jesus plus effort equals not just righteousness. Jesus plus effort equals wholeness and closeness, and it's kind of this kind of gritted out Christianity that Paul is going after and chasing the, the Galatians to say, change this, correct this. In Galatians chapter two, he talks about us being united with Christ, and that's how we find righteousness. Galatians chapter two, verse 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God or for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I, I, you and I, we can't be righteous in God's eyes. We can't do, do the right thing. We can't be seen as right. We can't feel right with God by our efforts. Because what Paul says, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So to add effort into the equation is actually saying, Jesus, your death was pointless. Your sacrifice didn't need to happen. If righteousness could be gained by the law, Christ died for nothing. 
That's an important thing for us to remember because it's not about our effort. Our effort does not bring about the righteousness of God. What does? Well, he, he, in verse 20, talks about the unity that we experience with God, that we're crucified with Christ, that we're united with Christ, that we're resurrected with Christ. It's in that unity, and what brings that unity? Faith. It's through faith. Not through actions or deeds or holiness or anything like that. It's through faith that we experience unity with God. And then we are seen as right. We're able to do what is right. We're able to feel what is right. It's that unity with Christ. I'd illustrate it like this. There's a gentleman named Charles Blondin. I think that's how you say it. Guy was a tightrope walker and an acrobat, and he's a man that became famous for riding, uh, walking a tightrope across Niagara Falls. This three-inch tightrope, numerous times he would walk the 1,100 feet. 1,100 feet, we don't think this very much. Three and a half football fields. That's how far he went, on three inches. It was a three-inch cord, and he'd walk 1,100 feet across it, and 160 feet in the air, by the way, with all the water and rocks and everything and people watching, and, every, and, it, and it just became this thing that he could just do. Man, Charles, just be, he would go back and forth. He would go and take breaks and rest. He would drop down and grab the wire by his hands, and then he'd pull himself back up and just keep walking. Like, he just, it was kind of crazy what he could do. There's rumor that he even brought a stove out onto it and cooked pancakes. I don't know if that's true or not, but pretty interesting story if it was true. Pretty crazy. One thing that is true is one time on one of his, his walks along the tightrope over Niagara Falls, Charles brought a man with him, this guy named Harry. Harry Colcord was clinging to his back on a piggyback ride, and, and Charles walks across. And, and as they're going across, one of the things that Charles had to tell him is he, he says this. He says, look up, Harry. You are no longer Harry. You are Charles. You are me. And until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go to our death. And I think what, what this story of Charles and Harry walking across this tightrope represents to me is this journey that we're on with Jesus. We don't cross the tightrope on our own. We cross it on a piggyback ride with Jesus, and Jesus is the one that goes across the tightrope, taking us from death to life, taking us from captivity to freedom, right? From loneliness to unity with the family of God. That's the good news, that he's taking us on this journey, and it shows this unity as we're just holding on for dear life. Okay, Jesus, I cling to you. When Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. I was united with him. I was one with him. Just as Charles tells Harry, when I sway, you sway. When I go this way, you go that way. We're united in mind, body, and soul. Notice what didn't happen in the story. At one point, Harry doesn't just get off his back and say, hey, Charles, I know you got this thing figured out. Go ahead and I'll finish. I'll take it from here. Right? Can you imagine? Like He's hanging on and then he just like, lets go and he's like, hey, Charles, I think I got this now. You're doing it. Okay, here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to navigate the rest of the way. No, he doesn't do that. Unfortunately, in our faith and in our journey with Jesus, some of us are walking along that tightrope with Jesus, and at some point along the way, we get off and say, I'll take it from here, Jesus. The Galatians were doing that. We'll take it from here, Jesus. Uh, we know that whole death on the cross and crucifixion, that's all great, but we're going to be right with God. We've got to get circumcised. We've got to hold to these diets. We've got to hold these celebrations and ceremonies. We do that as well. When we emphasize effort, we're getting off Jesus' back and saying, Jesus, I'll take it from here. 
And that's the very thing that Paul is trying to correct. And he paints this picture of what happens, right? Just as, just as Charles did with Harry, he says, if you don't do this, if you try to get off and do this yourself, we're going to die, right? You're going to plummet to your death. Well, Paul kind of paints the similar picture in Galatians chapter 5 when he describes this idea of us living by our flesh. When we live by our effort, remember that word effort in Galatians 3 was flesh, And what's interesting is in Galatians 5, he talks about a life lived in the flesh, led by the flesh, driven by the flesh, right? And some translations don't use the word flesh, they use sinful nature. So when our life is driven by our humanness, driven by our sinful nature, driven by our flesh, this is the result, this is the picture that he's painting. This is the plummeting that happens. It says in Galatians 5, 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, or the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty descriptive list. Pretty raw, pretty real, right? And these are the results of trying to control our own lives. This is what happens when we try to make it on our own, when we try to fix ourselves and clean ourselves up and be right on our own. We lead to brokenness. We don't don't end up feeling more right with God and more perfect for God and doing the right thing. It leads to more discord and brokenness and selfishness. Look at all of those things. They're just wrapped up in selfishness because Jesus plus effort is selfish, Because you're thinking you can save yourself. You can make yourself right. And look at what happens. The the plummet that we take into the falls is what? A selfish sexuality, a selfishness in our relationships, a selfishness in our worship, a selfishness across the board. All of these things deal with selfishness and brokenness and division. So Jesus plus effort isn't righteousness. Jesus plus effort isn't wholeness with God. Jesus plus effort is brokenness. It is disaster. It is not good. But what Paul is writing in the Galatian letter is not just this Debbie Downer want want type of writing. He's painting this picture for them because what he's trying to remind them and convince them of is this. Anyone can be a part of God's family. Anyone can be a part of God's promises. Anyone can be seen as righteous by God and can do the righteousness of God and live that out and feel righteous. Why? Not because they uphold the law, not because they check the boxes, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus plus nothing equals righteousness. And he says this, uh, this faith that we have in Jesus, it, it, it illustrates how we experience righteousness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. He says, by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Now, that's kind of a clunky sentence, Right When translated into the English, what does that all mean? But what it's showing you is that to get to righteousness, to cross the Niagara Falls along the tightrope, right? How do we get there into experiencing righteousness, being seen as right by God? We wait and, and are excited to, to, to experience that. We desire that, right? To be close with God as righteous people. Well, how do we get there? It is by faith. Not by effort, not by doing By faith. That's what gets us there. That's the simplicity of it. Jesus plus nothing equals righteousness. 
And he says that it's through that faith that we then experience the Holy Spirit in our life. Remember in Galatians 3, he said, how did you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Was it by doing a bunch of stuff or was it by believing what you heard? It was by believing what you heard. And so what he's saying very simply is that, man, oh man, when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, when we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, when we believe the gospel, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in our lives. The Spirit of God resides within us. And what he's saying here in Galatians 5.5 is that through the Holy Spirit, we experience righteousness. That he is the one empowering us and enabling us to experience righteousness. So often we try to do the right thing on our own effort or flesh, right? But what Paul is saying is that through faith, we experience the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers us, enables us to do the righteousness of God to be righteous. That's crazy. So Jesus plus nothing is not only righteousness, Jesus plus nothing is a Holy Spirit-filled life. The Holy Spirit is in our life to give us wisdom and counsel. He's described as our comforter and our source of peace. He's our convictor. He's uh, He's in John 16 described as one who comes to earth to to bring glory and honor to Jesus, to the Son. And so if the Holy Spirit is residing within you, all of those things are going to go through. Man, he's in you to bring glory to the Son through you, to bring righteousness through you as a byproduct of being in your life. And so when Paul is describing in Galatians 5 in that passage, he describes, well, what's driving you? What's What's at the steering wheel of your life? Is it your flesh driving you to be right? Or is it the spirit of God that is residing in you through faith that's driving you to be right before God? It's kind of like bumper cars, right? When we're driving a bumper car and we're at control, our flesh is at control, what do we do? We end up spinning around and around. You ever get stuck on a bumper car that's spinning and spinning? And then we end up jammed into the wall and we smash into the wall and we're stuck and we can't get out of there. Or we end up in this hodgepodge of other bumper cars that nobody's even driving. It's just unmanned pile of bumper cars. We're stuck in the corner, just like, help me, right? And we're just kind of stuck in these bumper cars. That's what happens when I drive a bumper car. You and I, we drive, we just spin out of control. And then what happens when you're driving the bumper car? The employee has to walk over. He's just like a teenager. Can't literally drive, but he can operate a bumper car. He comes and he stands on the back and he grabs that pole and he grabs the steering wheel And he's like, all right, buddy, here we go, right? And he just drives in, he corrects your course. He knows how to operate and drive those things. Well, who's got your steering wheel? Who's driving your life? What does life look like when it's driven by the Holy Spirit? When our life is driven by ourselves, we're spinning out of control, crashing into things. When we're driven by the Spirit, it's leading to a different path what Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit later in Galatians 5. When our life is driven by the Spirit, it says that we will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These characteristics of God are what come out of us. Why? Because the Spirit resides within us. And so if the Spirit of God is in us, through faith, well then the fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics of God are going to come out of us. That's what's produced. It overflows. Not because I was baptized or not because I was circumcised or not because I'm good enough and I check all the boxes, but because by faith I believe that the Holy Spirit is within me. 
And he's driving my life. He's directing my life. He's leading my life. He's guiding my life. And it's going to produce these things, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When I try to drive my life, I'm usually going to get, well, none of that. I'm spinning out. But what Paul is showing the Galatian church, what he's showing us is Jesus plus nothing equals righteousness. We can do right, feel right, be right with God. But he's showing also that it, it brings a closeness with God. It brings that relationship with God. It brings a life that is overflowing with the character of God. So where do we go from here? We long to be right with God, do the right thing, be seen as right by him and by others. This whole theme of righteousness, I'll tell you what, it's complicated. <laughs> it's really difficult to wrap my brain around. Because where my mind goes is, yeah, but God, this is my flaw. Here is my brokenness. Here's my issue. And we all have those issues. We all have those addictions and struggles and imperfections. You had them pre-COVID and then we hit COVID and what did COVID do? It just accentuated whatever you had, right? If you were struggling with alcoholism, it just magnified it. If you're struggling with pornography, boom, it just magnified it, made it worse. If you're struggling with emotional issues of anger and control, or you were dealing with suicidal tendencies and depression, loneliness, whatever it is that you're wrestling with, the very things that we would point to and say, yeah, but God, I can't be right just because of this. We're in a season right now globally where it's just taken that, and studies are showing it, it's taken whatever issues you had and just, boom, thrown it in the microwave, hit it on high, and just grown. It's become a bigger issue, hasn't it? A bigger struggle, a bigger problem that we're trying to hide. And the, the, the thing that I keep coming back to is I can't fix that, and I don't have to fix that in order to be seen as righteous by God, to be loved by God, to be seen as right by God, to climb up into his lap and say, son, I love you. I don't have to fix that. Because that would require effort on my part. But what Paul tells me in Galatians is that my faith in Christ takes whatever that is and it nails it to the cross. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong, belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature and its passions and desires. If I've got sin lurking below the surface, if I've got sin that's growing, if I've got these things that I'm trying to deal with, what Paul is saying is that my faith in Christ, not my efforts, not my perfections, not my to-do list, but my faith in Christ nails it to the cross. And when I come to that reality, and I just sit in that for a moment, I mean, just do it. Picture nailing that to the cross. And as you're doing that, asking the question, God, why have I wrestled with this? What am I seeking? What am I chasing? What fulfillment do I desire from it? 
why do I keep picking this up? Why do I try to check this box? Why am I trying to fix this on my own? You see, when we stop and we nail it to the cross, we we have to wrestle with those questions because that's truly surrendering it to Jesus. That's truly letting go of these things. That's truly nailing it to the cross. And if it helps you to visually do it, man, grab a piece of paper, write it out, and hammer it to the wall or board or whatever. We've done this before. April and I had a really special moment this year where we got to do this. And I'll tell you what, it became the symbolic representation of what Paul is saying, that I've been crucified with Christ and I've been raised to new life. So when, I, when that stuff starts seeping back up into my peripherals and into my life and COVID begins to want to accentuate and illustrate and intensify it, well, then I can remember, no, Jesus, we nailed that to the cross. It's dead. And that's what Paul is saying. It's, it's dead because of the cross. You see, our, our, our desire to, to go from here is to say, well, what books do I need to read? What steps do I need to take? What group do I need to join? How do I get better at this? And we have to first start with Jesus, crucify it. Let that part of me die. Set me free from that. And he says then in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And what I see here is just that closeness to God. That we walk the tightrope with God. That we live by the Spirit and let us keep in step with the Spirit. That is what the righteousness of God looks like. That's how we live that out. We live righteously and we're seen as righteously and we feel righteous. It's not because of what we do, but it's, man, oh man, it's this closeness that we have with God. That we live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. There is a closeness with God in that. That Jesus plus nothing equals closeness with God. That's what we long for. And that's what we desire. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now. I pray for your church. And you would set us free of the things that have held us captive, that you would, uh, as your word says, that you would allow those things to die. God, that we've allowed to control us and lead us and, and, and steer our lives. God, I just pray in this moment, we put those things on the cross with you and they are crucified. Our addictions, our struggles, our imperfections, our pride, our self-righteousness, our control, God, we put all those things on the cross and allow those things to be crucified with you. And I pray from that, that new life would spring forth. Resurrect your church, God. Resurrect us to live a life of freedom and holiness and, 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 and life, and life to the fullest. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray, amen. For more information, check out thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.